Yes, hello folks, as promised uh, in Manchester United podcast here on the latest with what's going on with the takeover. I've, I've, I've got the excellent Kieran Maguire on, the Mark A. Smith of the football industry, as he's been called. Um, I'm delighted to have him on here to explain some of the things um, that I don't understand in financial parlance and to try to elucidate some of the things that's going on with these bids. First of all, Kieran, how you doing, Paul? Uh, all good, as a Brighton fan. Uh <laughs> having an amazing season and enjoying every minute of it you certainly are I was watching your boy Evan Ferguson last night um, mm. and uh, the Zerbi's doing a fantastic job bro. be interested semi-final my friend uh, I wish I was filled with confidence <laughs> well, we will see uh, Karen thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me today um, there's a number of things that have been working on behind the scenes with the, the takeover some things I understand some things I don't understand maybe I think I understand maybe I don't um Obviously, it's a very fluid situation with Manchester United and the takeover. I want to get your opinion and best guess on what you think happened yesterday when the bid deadline was extended. To me, it was a bit more than coincidence that Jim Ratcliffe and the Qataris didn't have their bid in by the deadline. Um, what do you think happened there? There's a lot of brinkmanship from the bidders. Manchester United isn't worth six billion pounds in a traditional business environment i think uh, both the bidders are trying to get that message across uh, neither wants to overpay the the glazers remember have put nothing no money into manchester united and they're trying to take an awful lot out so so what we've got is we've got the rain group effectively acting as hustlers mm-hmm. and they're they're trying to act as auctioneers with regards to the club. But everybody's looking at it and saying, well, the, the assets need some care and attention because there's been a lack of investment on the infrastructure side of the club. In terms of what we've seen to date through inspecting the data room, nothing has blown us out of the water. Manchester United will probably keep make reference to, well, we've got 1.1 billion followers around the world. But that's not 1.1 billion people that are willing to pay cash to Manchester United for the privilege of being a follower. So I think there's a a degree of scepticism. There's also, perhaps from the the potential owners, thinking... If Newcastle United was sold just over a year ago for 300 million, why is Manchester United supposedly worth 20 times as much? Yeah. Nobody's denying that Manchester United are a bigger club than Newcastle United, but 20 times just seems crazy. Yeah, I did hear Amanda Steve Lee say something similar to that whenever they were looking at other clubs around the Premier League and they looked at Liverpool, obviously. And they looked at the value of what we were being quoted for Liverpool and said it doesn't make sense. You know, Newcastle makes more sense. Obviously, a lot has changed in the financial market since Chelsea and Newcastle were sold. There's a lot of nervousness. Um, my brother-in-law is actually a venture capitalist uh, and he was heavily exposed in SVB. Um, there's extreme concern amongst investors about um, financial instability. I want to ask you two questions about that. How does that potentially affect the seal price and potentially affect the Glazers' ability to generate the finance to stay? Um, 
In terms of the sale price, if you think that there's going to be a long-term impact in respect of investors' expectations, is it going to increase what we sometimes refer to as the cost of capital? Mm-hmm. Then that can only decrease the price in, in terms right. of what people are willing to spend. Having said that, we know that one of the bidders is Sheikh Jassim. Islamic finance doesn't encourage the use of debt finance. It, it looks at other ways of investing. So therefore, there's a case for saying the opposite in the sense that if you are buying an asset or a business, which pretty much has guaranteed revenue streams, which has brand loyalty that every single industry on the planet would give its eye teeth for, that's a good industry to invest in. But but at the same time, don't overpay. And it comes back to, um, I think, if the if the asking price had, in my opinion, been realistic, we would be a lot closer to an, an approved bidder, um, to somebody starting to move towards the end game. And I don't think we are there with Manchester United. And the elephant in the room... And what I'm hearing more and more is we talk about the Glazers as if they are a single person. Yes. They are not. You've got Avram and Joel who are keen on Manchester United as a business. And then you've got the other four siblings who frankly don't know the shape of a football. And they would quite happily cash out given that they put nothing in they're 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 each going to walk away even even if we say that there's a a price of four and a half billion sterling which is what around about what 5.2 5.3 billion dollars they're still going to walk away with six seven hundred thousand dollars each potentially um for doing nothing so that there's there's so many unknowns that are here there's a lot of conjecture it did descend into farce last night when the offers failed to materialise. And then you've got lots of pre- people briefing lots of journalists trying mm. to get their side of the message across. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because I was reading about the bylaws of Manchester United. And the bylaws say that those Class B shares cannot be sold uh, or transferred to anyone else without the agreement of all six siblings. So, mm. so that would prohibit, um, it, let's say the Glazers wanted to uh, sell a minority stake. They would first of all need the consent of all the siblings. Joel and Avram only own 33% of the 69%. That makes them mm. minority investors. Now, they, the way it works, I understand, is Joel and Avram have 98% of the voting rights on club matters, what manager they appoint and all that, but not on matters of finance, right? That's equity distributed amongst the family. So that would make it really difficult for them to do a minority sale because, first of all, there's no guarantee if they came to an agreement with the family to sell those shares that the rest of those four siblings are going to reinvest that money back into a football club they really have no longer an interest in. They are probably going to take that money and walk away, which would mean that Joel and Avram have very little room for manoeuvre in terms of 
what they actually have to sell while still retaining control of the business side of the club. Um, and I would imagine that if someone purchased and they came to the room with the other four siblings to buy those shares, the arrangement, the agreement with 98% voting rights on club matters would, would dissipate, would, would, would be over immediately. So I'm looking at this going, how could they possibly agree to a minority sale? And, from, and just to add to that, what I've been told, and I don't know if I have this right, with Elliot Group. So what the Elliot Group have been doing is they have said, okay, we'll we'll buy a minority stake, but not really making that offer to the Glazers. They're making that offer to other buyers, to Jim Ratcliffe, to the Qataris, and saying, we will buy 20% of the club and give you the financing for the rest if you want. We would be a minority a minority uh, a stakeholder in a football club. Um, and, and that's how that minority bid is working, rather than being a minority partner with the Glazers, it being a minority partner of one of the potential buyers. Um, so if you could uh, share some light on both of those, that'd be great. There's mixed stories coming out via Elliot. It, it could be that they would provide some funds which would allow Joel and Avram to, to buy out their brothers and sister in, in such a way that if they do that, it means that they end up with 51% of the votes. The other shares are then sold to a third party or released onto the market. And that way, Edward and whatever the other names are, I, I forget them, uh, Edward and Kevin and so on, they, they get some cash. Avram and Joel still have got 51% of the votes, which means that they have control over day-to-day -day activities, appointing the board, appointing the manager, um, pricing structures, setting budgets, and so on. And their, their siblings walk away with some money. And that could be funded by Elliot. That could be funded by another party. We don't know. Um, I'm not sure that Elliot themselves would want to end up as minority shareholders, given that they were probably savvy enough to realise that Manchester United fans will hold them responsible for the Glazers maintaining mm -hmm. control of the club. And that's bad publicity, full stop. You, know, you, you are seen as the people who are enabling Kevin and uh, sorry, Brian, Joel and Darcy to keep and, control of the club. Yeah. Um, what what's what's in it for them for, for a business which which doesn't actually make money and, yeah, and this delusions. is something else which people are ignoring exactly and there's also from what i understand with the bonds right so the bonds mature in 2027 right um so they can they either have to pay those in full uh or they have to refinance um, but there's also uh, some contingencies like if they receive capital investment on assets above market value they're obligated to pay those bonds if requested and they come with an early payoff penalty. So if someone invests a bunch of money in Manchester United, because uh, a lot of debt secured against the assets, of course, and they pay above market value, then the Glazers would have to pay those bonds if requested by the bondholders and would have to pay it uh, as a penalty. Um, so uh, are you, uh, that's what I'm reading. Is my interpretation of that correct? Yep. Yeah. But if I was a bondholder, why do that? Manchester United is a cash cow. I mean, you know, if I was a bondholder, I'd be looking to kick kick those repayment dates down the road 
because for all of the faults of the LBO model that has been created by the Glazers, Manchester United generates cash. It's relatively low risk because of the nature of the business. Manchester United will sell out Old Trafford every single week. Manchester United will be in the top half of the Premier League. Manchester United will qualify for Europe. Manchester United will be able to extract, if not maximum, pretty close to maximum value in terms of front of shirt deals and so on. So, so if I was a lender, there's no downside risk. So why, why call in the loans early? Because if, because if you think about it from the point of view of the bank, if I get the money back from the Glazers, I then got to lend it to somebody else. Well, mm -hmm. that somebody else is likely to be a higher risk than Manchester United. So there's no, whilst in theory, the banks could call in the money, why do it from a practical point of view? When, you, when you've got people who have already paid you £916 million in interest, in the last 17, 18 years. And they've no, always I, I, managed to make the payments. Why, I, why not just carry on? It's, it's, it, it. But what I would say, Kieran, is the financial health of Manchester United, if you look at their accounts, is not analogous to what it was, you know, 10 years ago and the profit that they generate. I mean, the Athletic did an article where they said they were losing two million a week. I don't know if that scales over the course of the year. Um, there's some concerns. Obviously, the, the shirt sponsor, uh, Team Viewer, uh, is looking to leave. Um, from what I understand, there's not a number of people knocking down United's door um, to replace them uh, and, at, at the rate that they currently got. Um, there's also a contingency on those bonds that if they make a profit less than 65 million during a Champions League season, there was a penalty on them. Um, if you look at United's accounts, they're a billion in debt. Um, there's really not much they can do to continue to borrow to fund future investment. They need a new stadium. And the risk is definitely increased. I mean, I was reading the prospectus that they submitted in 2005 of all the risk factors um, to I think JP Morgan it was, and pretty much all of them have been realized. I mean, their biggest commercial asset walked out of the football club in October, November. They now have a manager that's not willing to make signings based on commercial value. It, it, it needs to be run as a football club. And, you know, I mean, I, I look at, I know this is anecdotal, but living in America, I don't see kids running around with United shirts on. I see kids running around with City shirts on. I see kids running around with Real Madrid shirts on. Uh, and it's just it, it, the 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 commercial value, the, the commercial revenue hasn't grown in four to five years. Um, I'm trying to see where, if you're going to invest in this football club, where you see the return coming, because, you know, the, the from, from why wouldn't the Glazers just invest a bunch of their own money into the football club rather than sell a stake, pay off the debt? Because that's not the Glazers' way of doing things. Yeah, so why would they sell shares, dilute their equity? to pay off debt you know surely it makes more sense for them just to sell the club altogether walk away with a massive windfall and look who knows what's going to happen in this financial market over the next year or two united might not get this opportunity again to sell for this price i th i think the majority of the glazer children would like to sell out but the majority isn't all of them um, and whilst you've got avram and joel who are convinced that there is a magic box in football there's a magic box which is called monetization. Manchester United are making 
600 million a year on a fan base, which is supposedly 1.1 billion. That's 57 pence per fan per year. That's awful. That's absolutely dire. If you, mm. if you could go and change that to, to, to a pound or two pounds or a couple of bucks, all of a sudden you've got a business which is completely different. The problem that the Glazers have is that nobody in football has as yet worked out that kind of followers into cash. But you've got lots of people saying, well, streaming rights. We've got lots of people saying augmented reality, virtual reality, access to matches, where effectively you bring Old Trafford to LA, you bring Old Trafford to Lagos, you bring Old Trafford to, to Beijing through the use of technology. And if you can persuade people to pay a couple of bucks every time they do that, then the whole business model changes. So I think there are some members of the Glazer family and there are some investors who are very bullish as to what technology can do in terms of selling, yeah, make, making the rights more valuable. And they want to be at Manchester United when that technology arrives. There's other people saying, well, hold on. Yeah, we heard exactly the same with 3D television and that was a car crash. That didn't work. Why should, why should we trust the people um, who are making these claims? So it, it's, it's, it's a tension and it's a standoff between the two parties. I mean, they've been chasing the streaming rights bonanza for a long time, and it's never materialized primarily because piracy is just too easy. I mean, you can get a fire stick right here for a hundred dollars and I can watch Sky TV, right? There's basically no pay-per-view, no event that can't be accessed by anyone almost instantly on the internet that they don't have to pay for. I mean, I hate to use this example, but pornography had the same problem. Is that it, why are people going to pay when it's for free? You know, yes, you'll get some people that will pay because they want, they don't want the latency and they don't want, obviously, they don't want to be legal and all that. But when you look at markets around the world, um, the markets they, they want to expand in, you know, Americans will watch football, don't get me wrong. I don't know how many Americans are going to pay pay-per-view per event to watch football. Another sport that I love is boxing. And boxing swapped its mainstream audience for a pay-per-view audience. They said, okay, we've got a core amount of supporters that will pay to watch two flags fighting on a wall. Now they want to try to recapture a mainstream audience, but they can't. And there's so much competition in sports when it comes to basketball, when it comes to American football, because everything's globalized now due to the internet. And, you know, kids aren't growing up. I mean, my son is a 16-year-old American. He watches basketball, he watches MMA, he watches baseball, he watches football, he watches, you know, boxing and everything. When I grew up, I was just watching football pretty much. Would he pay to watch it? I don't know. Uh, would his friends pay to watch it? I don't know. And primarily, they're connecting with football through video games. It's really not what they're watching on TV. They're consuming highlights on YouTube and all these other free platforms. And this has been an issue for the Premier League who tried to... We're, we're I looking think that's at, a valid... Yeah, so I, I just don't see it where, where it's, it's imminent. I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right as far as the US market is concerned, that there is a natural ceiling because there is so much more competition. But remember, football is not the number one sport in the US. It's not the, it's, it's not the number two or the three either. Whereas in Europe it is, in Africa it is, in, in many parts of Asia it is. 
uh, with the exception of, say, the likes of India, where, where you've got cricket. So I, I think those particular markets, and again, if I'm on the sales side of a virtual reality experience, I'm going to say crazy numbers because I'm trying to sell my product. Do I, as a consumer, would I be willing to pay £10 a match to watch it on a headset to have an immersive experience? I wouldn't. But there, there will be some people. And that, that's what they're pinning their hopes on, that there will be enough people. I, mean, you, I think you made a good observation with regards to boxing. You don't need that many people to actually pay to watch to make it quite valuable. If we look at what's happened with the English Football League, people were prepared to pay during lockdown £10 a match to watch individual matches that they couldn't physically attend. Lost that you, could be ignited. And you don't need... Go ahead, got your back. You don't need that many people to do that. No, you don't. But the question is, do you get enough people that makes it more, uh, more lucrative than in what you're getting for international distribution rates? Um, I, I don't know. There's also obviously the issue of whether the Premier League would allow this. They'd have a legal wrangle. This is this is not something that would be happening in the next two or three years. This is something that, in my opinion, is still quite a ways away. I'm looking at the Glazers going, they aren't behaving like owners that expect to stick around. right? I mean, they wanted to raise the capital two, three years ago to buy the siblings out. And no one really showed any particular appetite. Uh, in giving them the money to do that. Um, so I'm looking at this going, if they diluted the ownership and sold the rate, sold their four sibling shares, that would make Joel and Avram the minority shareholders in United. But, but would it? Because the sibling shares automatically convert to the other type of share and therefore they go down to one vote per, per share. So... You wouldn't actually have for, for Joel and Avram. They wouldn't actually have to buy that many shares in order to maintain fifty-one percent of the votes. No, they, so basically, right now they own thirty-three percent of the club between them. Of, well, no, yeah. no, sorry, thirty-three percent of the sixty-nine percent. Right, so it's really yeah. less than twenty. They literally own less than twenty-five percent of the club. Right, so their options are walk away with circa five billion. Or invest hundreds of millions back into the football club, right? In the hope that you get a financial bonanza a couple of years down the road. When I look at the Glazers business model, they've never shown any appetite to really do that. And I mean, they stopped paying debt off and just made interest payments for like the last four or five years. And I, I think that, um, you know, that, that look, when I see someone do that, that tells me they're looking at a sale because they're really not concerned about revenue. The, the United could not pay dividends to them in the previous quarter. Um, so you're looking at that going, you know, what, what, it really costs more to keep it than it does to sell it. That's, that makes a lot of sense. I don't, I don't think the Glazers see it that way. Yeah, they've been quite happily taking dividends for the last six or seven years. Uh, uh, they've made some share sales, which have generated what, $150 million a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. 
the share price has bounced back from where it was yeah, around about 11 bucks. Uh, it was it was trading below list price. So I think the markets initially, their reaction towards the Glazers was that they felt that they were fairly mediocre. But now everybody's got a bit giddy with regards to what they consider to be the the, uh, the price. And there's the opportunity to make some money. And that's attractive to some, but not all of the Glazers. And I think that that's the problem. Joel and Avram are convinced that they would be better staying around still not investing. Remember, under both Project Big Picture and Super League, both of which they were firmly behind, Yes, they there was the opportunity for Manchester United under both of those to sell their own rights, both domestically and the Super League rules. And that's of revenue coming, and, and that's why they were willing to stay. My personal view is that even if Super League does come back, and it will come back in some form. Sure, it will be very difficult for Manchester United to join uh, unless they persuade the fans to do that. And I think any true Manchester United fan would be absolutely appalled at the prospect. But there's people don't come under that particular umbrella who I don't think are proper fans of football. They just want glory without anything uh, and, and money without, uh, without, any, without any responsibility. Um, so they, they've tried it on a couple of occasions. They will, they will keep trying if the, if the Premier League manages to get the, the 3 p.m. blackout lifted. I can assure you the, the big clubs will be saying, well, some of our 3 p.m. matches, we want to sell the rights via streaming for those matches. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that, that's, that's a way of, of increasing the profitability of the business. And then perhaps it does look more attractive. But yeah. the Blazers have been rubbish owners to date. Yeah, no, I completely agree. But those are all um, possible, but not probable in mm -hmm. the near future. Um, and I'm looking at that going. I, I just, I, I, if you, they're not difficult people to work out and how they, uh, how they value success. It's not, you know, they, they're obviously people that look at success through a profit and loss column, not a win loss column. And I get that. Um, and that's the only thing they're concerned about. I just look at this and I'm thinking when you it's not difficult to uh, predict what these people want and I just in order for them to keep a hold of United um, it was it's going to take a complete shift in their whole mentality and what they see United as and to they've never invested any any money I'm gonna let you go on a minute because I appreciate your time well I'm looking at this and going I, I just I don't see what equity they have to sell um, or refinance against at a club that at the minute, like we said, is you know losing two million a week. Um, you know if that if that scales over here, it's one hundred four million. It's completely unsustainable. They're going to the market. They ask for capital not because they're investing in new industries, not because they're investing in new products, but because they've run that business so badly. And you would imagine that any financing that they would get would come with major contingencies on how they continue to run this football club they'd have to change the bylaws lots of things would have to change and the glazer ownership model whatever happens you would believe has come to an end i, th I think there's an element of wishful thinking there phil um 
But would you give them money and let them do this again? I mean, I wouldn't. There's too many other better investments in the market that are that, are, that have less risk and better return than, than letting, you know, absentee landlords who, you know, have no regard for the football club and no and have used it as a sense as their own personal ATM. It's, it's the only thing that they've cared about. There's, I, st I still think it is relatively risk-free because the money keeps coming in no matter how poorly... I think their big issue is that they're absolutely they're, they're very poor at cost control. Manchester United have a bigger wage bill than Manchester City. They've got a bigger wage bill than Chelsea or Liverpool. Uh, if you take a look at the the net spend since Sir Alex retired, that's the highest in the Premier League. So quantitatively, they have put they've not put money in. They have approved the budgets. I think the people that they've employed to apply those budgets have been part of the problem. And I'm, I'm not trying to give them a, a pass here, but you've got to ask who has been spending the money, who, who has been buying Donny de Van der Beek's and, and Di Maria's and, and Harry Maguire's and so on, because that's that's where the problems have been made at Manchester United. It's, it's not the amount of money being spent. It's the fact that the money's being spent by people that don't appear to be competent. And even Richard Arnold has, has effectively said that they've frittered away a billion pounds. On, on buying rubbish. When was when was the last signing that Manchester United made where you thought we've actually got a bargain here or we've got really good value for money? Fernandez, and then Sandra you really struggle. I think you've got. You, it's really been recent. I completely accept your point, but that's partly because there's been no control parameters from the top, and the incentives have been all wrong. I mean, Woodward and Richard Arnold, the two highest paid executives in the league for football and aptitude, but they were clearly making the Glazers money, so they were being compensated for other metrics of success rather than football, which tells me a lot about what the Glazers' priority is. Now it's impossible to separate what happens on the field and off the field because they've milked the future so much. And you've also got the added problem of how do you match, continue to match City and Newcastle spending um, when, you know, that, that to, to remain competitive. I mean, top four is not a guarantee uh, this season and there's a lot of risk factors. Uh, lastly, Kieran, what do you think is the most likely outcome here? My gut feel is that the bids that will come in from both Ratcliffe and Jasim will not meet the Glazers' expectations. And we will have some form of Glazer ownership, but not necessarily the one that we have to date. I think it's going to be really hard for them to put this genie back in a bottle and move and 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 retain part ownership of United without having a major fan revolt. Because one thing that's very different from two thousand and five and two thousand and ten is United's commercial partners are extremely accessible on the internet, um, and their business model, of course, is commercial partners. Once you announce a commercial partner, the next thing that happens is they just get deluged with abuse. And of course, they start asking, you know, what are we doing here? Remember when Qualcomm did it, they got absolute deluged with abuse. They had to put all their accounts, uh, 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 lock, they had to lock all their social They're media They're still accounts. buying the shirts though, Phil. Well, I mean, they're still buying the shirts, but the thing is, is that when you have no fan equity, you know, is that brand association toxic when you have other options? And, you know, I don't know if they're being bought. I, I would have to look at this in the same way that they were being bought. I mean, you can make extrapolations about the future when you look at kids and to say, whose shirts are they buying? 
because oh, that's primarily the market is young kids up to about 30 years of age that's where most people are buying shirts and you know i mean again i know this is anecdotal it was at a football tournament in san diego where they had california state cup there was thousands and thousands of teams there and out of the kids that almost every kid was wearing a football tab i think i saw about three united shirts i saw hundreds of city shirts i saw hundreds of real madrid shirts i saw lots of other team shirts liverpool shirts um you know and and they're they're really not interested in united because naturally they're not winning and that is no longer glazers no longer able to divorce that from their commercial success which is reflected in their commercial revenue and the last two shirt sponsors have shown that they don't see the value in that sponsorship chevy fired the guy the year after he signed the deal and team viewer have wanted out from the summer and don't see the 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 the, 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 the uh or any legitimate roi or see the value in it and that affects how you get the next sponsor appraises the value of that shirt and uh you know I, I, in the in days of the internet can as you know um people have short memories and um if you're not winning now and you're not winning champions leagues not carabao cups then it doesn't bode well for the future because as florentino perez and all these other people have quite rightly pointed out it's not like you and I, where, where we have fanatical one support team. These kids support multiple different teams. These kids support players over over football clubs. These kids support managers over football clubs, and their brand loyalty ain't the same. So I think um, you know United's foothold in that market, guaranteed return on on their commercial value, is not what it once was. But we we shall see, my friend. We will um, see. Absolutely, mate. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it, and I uh, wish you all the best. Thanks, Karen.